Good morning, Destiny Church. I bring you greetings from Destiny Kids. I'm Mama Lo. It's my honor to be the children's pastor here at Destiny Church. I just want to welcome you to a wonderful day, um, a great Sunday. If you're watching online, guys, please share this link so that everyone can have an opportunity to worship with us and to share a wonderful word that we'll be receiving today. Uh, 
If this is your first time here, or if you've been here before but have never done it, uh, please fill out a connect card. There should be one on the seat in front of you. Um, you can go out to our connect desk, or if you'll raise our hands, our ushers will bring you one. We just want a chance to reach out to you and uh, bless you with a gift and also uh, sharing your life with you. Guys, if you are in need of prayer, I am a living testimony of what prayer can do. Um, I just want you to reach out to our prayer team. They are waiting, guys, to stand in agreement with you for any prayers needed. Our prayer team numbers are on the board, and they should be online for you. So if you're waiting on your miracle, guys, just call in. Our prayer team will stand in agreement with you. In addition, if you are here today and you have a prayer request, if you'll put your prayers on over here, we have a cross that says prayers above it, guys. Please put your prayers on that uh, wall. We will be praying over them each and every week. Once your prayers are answered and we're standing in faith that each and every prayer on that wall will be answered, guys, we want you to move them to our miracle wall. So we are experiencing miracles every day. I believe in miracles. Do you believe in miracles? All right, then. So if you're needing a miracle, guys, put it on our prayer cross. Let us pray over it, and then you'll be moving it soon to our miracle wall. We just have a couple of announcements. Our regular weekday services continue. Guys, on Monday, we have an intimate time of prayer. Uh, guys, you never know what to expect on our prayer night. We meet here on Monday nights at 6 p.m., um, sometimes we're here and it's just intimate. We're laid out on our faces, crying out to our Father. God, sometimes we're running around this sanctuary celebrating. But join us on Monday nights here at Destiny Church for prayer. On Tuesday nights, we have Tuesday at the table. Come on, guys. Tuesday at the table with our very own apostle, Bo Barton. He's been bringing a wonderful message on Tuesday nights. If you've missed it, he's been talking about Abraham. Uh, those messages are online. Um, you can catch up, and then you can start joining us. So you, you don't have to miss anything. On Wednesdays, what do we have? Destiny Kids. Come on, guys. 252 Unplugged on Wednesday nights, guys. It's Unplugged because we have no curriculum. We let the Holy Spirit move. Our, these guys talk about everything. We pray together. We worship together. We are family. We have our own church. In addition, on Wednesday nights, we have DSM with Pastor Kevin and Pastor Crystal. It's a wonderful time for our teams. Wednesday nights are hopping here at Destiny Church. Come and join us. Guys, uh, we're entering our season of Thanksgiving. Of course, each and every day, is, there's a reason for Thanksgiving. At prayer this morning before service, uh, just off the top of my head, I, I told my church brothers and sisters that I could think of probably 5,342,672 reasons to be thankful to our Father. So I know you can at least think of one, right? And that was just off the top of my head. I wasn't writing them down. I wasn't in my journal. I was just thinking of what I, could, what I had to be thankful for. Standing here this morning is, and, and feeling the way I do is a reason to thank God. Uh, because a week ago, I couldn't do this. And two weeks ago, I wouldn't dream of this. So I just want you to know that you should find this time as we move into the Thanksgiving season, the children and I will be remembering things to be thankful about. And if you don't have a thankful journal, guys, you need to be Thinking of all the things, there's no reason for anybody to be frowning in God's house. There's no 
fear in Christ. There's no pain in Christ. And there should be no sorrow in Christ. So you should be thinking of all the things we have to be thankful for. One of the great things, as you know, uh, uh, Brother Bo has been sharing with us so many stories and, and so much experience and, and bringing to us just a wealth of knowledge of the experiences that he's had in Mexico and blessing those people in Mexico. Well, we have an opportunity. We've been blessed with an opportunity to go to Mexico and experience firsthand some of the work he and his family has been doing. So um, if, if, if you are interested, guys, if, if it's been on your heart and if you've been wondering, like I've been wondering, exactly what uh, uh, Apostle Bo has been talking about, we have an opportunity to go. Um, the mission trip is scheduled already from February 15th through the 25th. Some people are already signed up and this thing is going to happen. Okay, ever since Apostle Bo has been here with us, um, he's been talking about Mexico, and I've been like, how do I get to be a part of this thing? How do you get started? Well, here's your opportunity. The last day for your deposit, guys, to go, the deposit is $200. They've been able to work out a great deal um, for this trip. It's unbelievable. Um, the deposit is due today, so you need to check with somebody. Check You can register online. You need to check with somebody to concrete and cement your place in going. You need to get that deposit in today. If there is a problem, you need to speak with Pastor Bo or Pastor DJ or one of the staff immediately today if you want to go and if there's any problem. But we have an opportunity to serve firsthand in Mexico with someone to guide us who, who already knows the ropes. So with that, I just want to turn our service on, guys. Give my Destiny Kids a hand. As you know, in Destiny Kids, anything the big people do, the little people do, okay? So one of the things that I'm training them, you never know when you're going to need one of these babies to do an announcement. So they need to be comfortable standing in front of you and being able to do it. So you'll see more of this. You know, if there's no babies crying in the church, the church is dying. But we got plenty of babies. Uh, uh, Pastor Sarah and, and Brandon take care of keeping our nursery full. So we've got plenty of children in our church. All right, guys, if you'll just step down over here. At this time, without further ado, guys, I know that there is a special message planned especially from us, from God, and Pastor Bo Barton, thank you guys, Pastor Bo Barton is going to bring that message. I love you, and have a wonderful Sunday. Hello, hello, here we go. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I, I just, I don't know how else to feel, except Jesus is wonderful. Amen. Since the night he walked into my room, 20-something uh, years ago, I, I have done my best to climb out of the pool of love that he dropped me into that night. I've tried to get out of it. I've tried to do everything just... Sometimes just being plain out rebellious. And I just cannot seem to find the beach that lets you off and out of the endless, bottomless sea of the love of our God. 
and it just makes me overwhelmed and I don't know how else to respond when I begin to actually sing to him and worship him and pray to him except with great exuberance because I, I know I deserve none of what I feel and I deserve none of what I've, I've received and am receiving. And it just produces just um, a joy in my heart because of the understanding of who I am not yet and who he is and his great mercy that his love is so, so rich and he allows me to come and be close to him. And he keeps calling my name and he keeps drawing me in and he keeps wrapping his arms around me. That should produce a response in you. It just should. And you know, sometimes we think that we can't worship God in a certain way and we can't lift our hands or we can't shout or we shouldn't sing with that type of joy because of what we did yesterday and, and past failures and, and how we haven't been perfect just yet. And we actually allow the law of hell to dictate to us how wonderful the love of God is. And that should never be. His love is overriding my failures. Not giving me an excuse to live in a place of rebellion, but letting me know there's still always a hand stretched out to lift my head up and to raise me back up once again and set my feet on the right place. And that is just awesome. If you got your Bibles this morning, we're going to start in Judges 1. Judges chapter 1. Mama Lo said, find somebody. That somebody is Miss Jazzy. I'm going to nominate her to be the, the somebody if you need information about the trip to Mexico. I keep giving her jobs today. Really excited. You know, I, I, I'm going to talk about family today. I'm going to talk about family today. Quite a few years ago, me and Rachel were living at the very edge of, of our established work in Mexico with the kids, and they were all pretty little then. And Brother DJ, you should have been here this morning. Mama Jules, whoa, man, wow. <laughs> that was wonderful. Uh, and I, I had a back, my back went out, and I, I was several weeks, couldn't move off the bed. Really bad. And Rachel's praying for me. She's got babies in diapers. It, it was a mess, you know. It was a really difficult time. I got people that are expecting me to come, and I can't come, and there's no phones back then. So you're just, you know, you're just not being able to show up, and they're expecting you. But God touched me, and I was able to get out of the bed. And, and I had a, a brother show up who was my next-door neighbor when I first moved in this particular town. He happened to be a pastor, which is really rare. And he ended up being my neighbor, and we became really close and good friends. He completely does not believe like I believe. <laughs> but he really loves Jesus. And uh, out of nowhere, he just came and showed up at my house at 10 o'clock at night, which y'all know that's not when you go visit people unannounced, right? And uh, I hadn't seen him in quite a while. And I was upstairs laying in the bed just being just electrocuted with pain in my back. And I heard the conversation at the door below and Rachel was telling him, no, he's in his bedroom. He's, you know, he's not doing well. He doesn't feel good. And, and you know, maybe and he, he just, I could just almost hear him pushing her out of the way. He says, where's he at upstairs? And, and he just walked right on upstairs into my bedroom. And he came in there and sat down next to me. And I was a mess. 
And uh, he talked to me for about 15, 20 minutes or something, just encouraged me. And then he said, I'm going to pray for you. And he really didn't even believe like that. And he said, I'm going to pray for you. And he actually laid hands on me and prayed for me in my bed. And after being in my bed for over three weeks, I, I was healed the next morning and was able to get out of my bed and walk. So I had to go to be in a meeting with a bunch of missionaries. And so I could move and walk and the pain was gone. But it still, I was pretty weak. And uh, I had a service date scheduled up on top of a mountain. And I'd been going there every week since these people had gotten born again for two, two and a half years. And I would pull up to the river and park my truck. And there would be a, one of those old swinging, hanging bridges, you know, going across this river. And me and the boys and Rachel, whoever was going that time, we'd, we'd hike across this bridge. And then we'd hike straight up for an hour. And it was a, a really awesome hike. These people lived on top of this mountain in the middle of nowhere by themselves. There are only people born again anywhere in that area, you know, right in that vicinity. And uh, people didn't really like us too much for bringing the gospel in and challenging all their, their idolatrous ways. And the week before, somebody actually had been murdered on the trail, cut up with a machete or something like that. And nobody knew who or why or what. They were just, there's a dead body there cut up. And so I pull up to the river and we're all loaded up going across several states to get where we're supposed to be. And I'm supposed to be there at nine o'clock and there's, you know, I'm healed, but I still am not walking an hour straight up the mountain. Uh, I am not that recovered strength wise yet. And we pull up to the, the river and, you know, I think Phineas and Moe were eight and nine or something. I mean, they, they were young. And I pulled up to the river and, you know, Rachel's kind of looking at me like, what are you doing? You know, because she knew I couldn't hike up there. And I just pulled up to the river and I said, uh, Fanny Moy, the brothers are waiting on us. You got to walk up there and tell them I can't come. You pray for them, eat whatever food they've made, and then you come back down. And so they knew that somebody had been killed on that trail the week before. On the same trail, they're fishing to walk up in the middle of nowhere with nobody else around. And Rachel knew that too. <laughs> we all knew it. But it didn't change the fact that these people were waiting for us at the top of the mountain. And so I asked the boys, I said, we all go up there? And they didn't even blink. You know, nine, ten years old, they put their little backpacks on, got their little pocket knives, and... Uh, Man, they just took off like, like scalded dogs up that trail. And I, and I watched them go up and do what I was supposed to be doing. That was, you know, technically that's my job. To get up there, preach with the gospel to them people, love on them and teach them who Jesus is. First and foremost, by the actions of my life. And then secondly, I'm going to read them some verses. Because my, my life is supposed to teach them who Jesus is before I ever open my mouth. And, and I couldn't do my job. And so I turned and looked at my sons who I'd raised in my house, who, who Spanish at 9 and 10 or whatever age they were, is, is way better than mine was and ever will be, even at that age. And I said, you have to go for me because I can't. And they didn't even blink knowing that the spirit of murder was still in that place. And they hiked up there. They probably ran, but they went. 
Visited the brothers. They prayed for them, sang songs for them, ate the food that they had made to receive us as a, as a blessing. And then they came back down the mountain. And we went about our business. And, and you know, that for about an hour, you know, me and mom are sitting down there with the, the girls or babies, whichever ones were born at that time. And, and you, you just know you just sent your kids up a trail where somebody got hacked up in pieces last week. And, and you're asking them to do that because of Jesus. And that is a, a, a odd thing for most people to understand. That's because most people don't understand the kingdom of God. The Bible says that you will overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of your testimony, and that's where most people stop. But there's a third part of this equation, and it says that you, that you don't love your own life unto death. There is a way that we overcome the enemy. It's first and foremost by the blood of Jesus. It's secondly by the word of your testimony, out your mouth and through your life. But thirdly, it's not loving your own life unto death. There is a reason why so many people inside of the family of God do not walk as overcomers and in victory because they want to do step one and step two, but they want to leave out part three because it's highly inconvenient and it doesn't usually feel good. There is a way for us to be victorious. I want to be victorious. I don't want to sing about it. I want to be victorious. I want to know that when the enemy's at the gate that I can rejoice and sing because my God is mighty in battle and I have a right to invoke his name. And it is not because of my perfection, but it is because of me yielding to the truth of who he is and that his word and his life and his kingdom means more than my own life, even that of my own children. And, and what actually happened was my sons came under the burden of responsibility that I bore, not as blood sons, but as sons in the kingdom of God. One of the responsibilities that I have being sent here in the position that I have been sent into this family as a father is to reform the very incorrect way of most everybody in here's way of thinking about what church is. And that is not me despising or thinking more of myself and less of you. It's just a broke system that most of us have grown up and were introduced to Jesus through. And it has affected the way we think. It affects the way we operate. It affects the way we function or don't function. And God is tired of dysfunction in his house. God wants us to not be dysfunctional because he is not dysfunctional. He is the perfect father. And we are supposed to represent that in our family in this place. And he wants us to open our hearts and our minds to his word. And he wants us to allow him to wash us with his word and reform us and re-educate us and show us a more excellent way so that we can be overcomers and so that we can live in peace and so that we can be a real family that doesn't operate in dysfunction but operates in proper alignment in the glory of God that we can walk in authority and we can change the world we live in. Man, come on. I don't want a great church service. I want lives changed. All right. 
Jesus. In Judges chapter 1, I'm going to read you, I'm going to read you a story. Judges chapter 1, verse 1, 1. It says, Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall be first to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I have delivered the land into his hand. So Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come up with me to my allotted territory that we may fight against the Canaanites and I will likewise go with you to your allotted territory. And Simeon went with him. Come on, Jesus. Really interesting situation here. You, you have Joshua who was raised up as a son in the presence of God by Moses. He, he, he did his job. He led the family of God to go in and begin to claim their inheritance. He was faithful in that. He was faithful to the Lord. He was faithful to the family of God. But his, his time was finished and now he's gone. And so they don't have a direct person over them speaking them direction and leading them in the way they'd been accustomed to ever since they had left Egypt. But the family did the right thing because they had been taught what the right thing was due. Because when Moses would go into the tent of meeting with the Lord, he would take Joshua, his spiritual son, with him. And when Moses came out of the tent of the Lord, Joshua usually stayed in. And so Joshua found his strength in the presence of the Lord. He didn't even find his strength in Moses, his spiritual father. He found it in God. And so when Joshua had finished his race, you see that there was a great level of success in him imputing that to the children of God who he was responsible for as a father over that nation. Because the first thing they do when he's no longer there and they're trying to figure out, do we go left or right? Do we sit? Do we stand? What do we do? What did they do? It says right there, they went to the Lord saying, who shall be the first to go up? They went to the children of the Lord, the children of God went and they asked the Lord. And they got their directions. Judah's going to go first. I'm just going to read you real quick the story of, of Judah being named. In Genesis 29, 31, you start off with the story about Jacob's children. It says, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb. This is one of Jacob's wives. But Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Then she conceived and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved. He has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was Levi. This is complete dysfunction we're witnessing. This woman's having babies, naming them with the sole purpose of trying to, get to, to, to gain her husband's love. And with every birth that comes and every new life that's given to her, 
It, it, it has one real deep significance in her. Maybe this time this is going to be what wins my husband's heart and turns his gaze toward me. It's dysfunction. Absolute dysfunction. And we are part of a family that we have to do nothing to gain the love of our father or our husband because we are the bride of Christ. There is a perfect love that flows from the father to the sons and daughters. There is a perfect love that flows from Jesus, the husband, to the bride. It's perfect. I don't have to aim it. Aim it. I don't have to do something. I don't have to give him something that's going to make him love me any more than he already loves me right now. Do you understand? I could go and see a million people saved. I could see a hundred people raised from the dead. I could go and start thousands of churches. I could do all of these things. And, but there's not one of those things that's going to make him love me any more than he loved me the night he walked in my apartment when I was high on dope. You need to lose that way of thinking that you have to accomplish something to gain his love. You can't birth anything that's going to change his opinion of you. It's already defined, and it's love. He is rich in love. <laughs> Woo! That's why I like to shout, because he's rich in love. To me. For me. Yes, I'm going to be obedient. Yes, I want to conform more to the life of Christ. Yes, I want to walk in more perfection. But none of those things make him love me more. But it is a desire in my heart to show him how grateful I am for the love he gave me before I did one thing for him. Come on. When you get to Judah, in verse 34, excuse me, verse 35, it says, And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Period. She finally got to the place where she was tired of trying to earn somebody else's appreciation. She got to the place where she was no longer thinking, I'm going to do something to gain this person's love. She just got to the place where she was satisfied with the love that God in Almighty, her Father in Heaven was giving her. And she just named that son Judah because now I'm just going to praise God. Because in him, I found the love I was trying to get from somebody else. Do you understand that when we would just turn our gaze to the Lord and quit needing to be confirmed and affirmed by everybody else around us, whether it's your husband or your children or people in the church or people at work, your sons, your daughters, if you would just be satisfied with the great rich love that he has for you, then all of a sudden something would begin to come out of you called praise. And that would satisfy the deepest longing to be accepted that you have. I promise you. This is the truth of the gospel. So she named him Judah because now I'm just going to praise God. All right, go back to Judges. When Judah hears that he's the one to go first, that the praise is going to go first, the, the thankfulness, the I'm just going to praise God is going to go first. Something really interesting happens. He's chosen by the Lord. The Lord supernaturally chooses him to go forth and to claim this land, this inheritance. But the first thing that Judah does is that he turns to Simeon, his brother, and says, will you go up with me? 
Will you go up and help me? Because if you will go up and help me, I'll go and help you when we're done with mine. And you see an amazing interaction of family right here. Simeon was not called to go up that mountain and fight that fight. Judah was. But Judah looked at him and says, you're my brother and I'm asking for your help. And Simeon didn't say, that ain't my job, more my responsibility. He said, I'll go with you because we're family. And your fight is my fight. And if you need my help, I'm going to give it to you. Man, I love family when it operates properly. I love family when it's in divine order and it is is aligned properly because there's so much strength and there's so much unity and there's so much life and there's love that should be flowing. And and, in Mark 3, 31 through 35, Jesus is preaching. And it says that his, his, his actual physical brother and mother, his brothers and mothers came and standing outside, they sent to him calling him and a multitude was sit, sitting around him and they said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. But he answered saying, who is my mother or my brothers? Jesus is asking the question, who is my mother? Who is my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever, for whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and mother. Whoever. This is an all-inclusive statement. There's no preference over anybody. It's just whoever decides they want to walk with God and obey his word, they get to be family with me. Come on. He didn't say the ones who look like me, the ones who dress like me, who come from the same place as me, who do the same kind of work as me. He said whoever. And in one moment, he makes the entrance into his family open to whoever wants to be there. Man, that's awesome, y'all. So it don't matter who you are walking up in here today. It don't matter what you walked out of to come up into this place. You have the same opportunity to be a part of the family of God that I have. It's just a decision to turn and acknowledge God as Father and to submit to what your Father is saying. And what your Father is saying is good and it's life and it's peace and it's joy because He's rich in mercy. Amen. Come on. Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus. And the Lord said to Judah, I shall go up back in Gen- or Judges, I shall go up. Indeed, I have delivered the land into his hand. So Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come up with me to my allotted territory that we may fight against the Canaanites. And likewise, I will go with you to your allotted territory. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 through 5, all of this kind of came to me this morning. And and so I'm just giving you some verses that, that were spinning through my mind as I was thinking on this line. In, in verse 1 it says in chapter 6 in Galatians, says, My beloved friends, if you see a believer who is overtaken with a fault, may the one who overflows with the Spirit seek to restore him. Win him over with gentle words, with, 
which will open his heart to you and will keep you from exalting yourself over him. Love empowers us to fulfill the law of the anointed one as we carry each other's troubles. If you think you're too important to stoop down to help another, you're living in deception. That's not my mountain to go up. That's not my fight on the top of that hill. That is not my job to go up there and tell them people that you're coming, daddy. Sometimes we want to qualify our, our level of help according to the difficulty or the inconvenience or the danger it's going to cost us. And when the family of God is in need, none of those things should be what you're trying to figure out to decide if you should help or not. I love family. I love functioning in the family of God as family because it makes us one. And that means I'm obligated to you and you are obligated to me to seek good for my life, to seek for blessing. If you see me in need and hurt, if you see me broke and out of line and out of order, love as family obligates you to reach out to me and try to help me in whatever capacity that it needs to be done in. It's an obligation that goes beyond having a church service on Sunday and coming together at a small group every now and then. It's a realization that I have met my family and I am joined to this family and I have functionality in this house and I have purpose and I am my brother's keeper. You are your brother's keeper. And so am I. In Romans 12, 10, it says, let the inner movement of your heart always be to love one another. Come on. And never play the role of an actor wearing a mask. So many people who've grown up in church, they were taught to wear a mask. Man, I just, I, I, I'm so open that I get in trouble for being so open. But I refuse to put a mask on. You're going to know me if you're in my life. You're going to know me for who I really am. Because family is supposed to know each other. And I am not going to hide who I am or how I feel or what I think from people who are supposed to love me and be looking to bear my burdens for me and with me, those are not the people I'm supposed to be hiding from. Those are the people who are supposed to know the most intimate details of my life. They're supposed to know my struggles. They're supposed to know my victories. They're supposed to know where I'm strong and where I'm weak. And they know how to look into my life and see where I'm at and, and help me in that. But how can that happen if we are taught to wear masks when we come into this place? Put your smile on. As long as you just come in and take up a seat and make our number bigger, you give a little bit of offering or you serve in some capacity, that's fine. But don't really tell us how you are and what's going on in your life. That is dysfunction. I have learned to be extremely honest and open with my children. And to sit them down at times and tell them this happened and this happened and this happened and this is going on. And because I refuse to, 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 to teach them we've got an image to protect. So let's not talk about this. I don't have an image. I do not have an image. 
I do not have a mask to put on. I don't need you to think I'm somebody I'm not. I need you to know that I'm a man of light passion just like everybody else sitting in here, but I love Jesus. And I am convinced that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life, and I will not be ashamed for it. But I'm also not going to hide. Because that's what church has done. It has turned us into members instead of family. And that's not what we're doing anymore. I remember when, when I got born again and, and I started going to church with mom and dad in Montgomery at the church they were going to. It was a great church, radically worked in mom and dad's life, but it just wasn't the place for me. And people were nice to me. People there had been praying for me for years with mom and dad for me to get born again. And I finally do. They were all excited. And they celebrate that. Even to the day I meet people that were prayer partners with mom and dad. And then the first thing they do, man, we pray for you for years. <laughs> you know? And uh, it's awesome, you know. But when I started going there, even though people were nice to me and, 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 and received me and tried to love on me, it just wasn't, it wasn't my place. And that, not in a negative way, but through the Lord manipulating life, I ended up in Tuscaloosa and I walked into a church. And I remember the first services I walked in there, it was Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames, you know, this production thing some of y'all might know they used to do. And, you know, just trying to scare people into, into the kingdom and all that kind of stuff. And, and it was neat. <laughs> Bless them, Jesus. And a lot of people got saved. And touch through that. They did. But I remember going in there and not knowing anybody and not having any relationship and walking into that place after one service knowing I had found my tribe. I, I had found my family. And I did it wasn't because of any personal relationship with anybody in the house because I did not have one. As a matter of fact, for the first three Sundays or three services I went in there, nobody ever even talked to me outside of saying, hey, glad you're here. And God did that on purpose. And it was, and I'm, I'm glad he did because what convinced me that I was in the place that God wanted me to be among the family that he wanted me to be a part of had nothing to do with any exterior relationships. It was completely by the spirit of God that told me you have found your family. And it didn't make the church I had left. I'd only been there for a month or two, several months. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't that they weren't good and they, there was something wrong with them. It just wasn't the family God wanted me to be joined to it, at that degree. We're all the kingdom of God when we believe in Jesus and we're all family. But there's, there's immediate family and there's extended family. But when I walked into that church, I knew this is my family. This is where I belong. This is my home. And I remember, I've said this before here somewhere down the past, but they, they got up and said, hey, we got this going on for this Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames, and we're going to be doing the nursery every night. It's a lot going on. And man, we need help. And I didn't know anybody. And they said, we need people in the nursery. And my first response is, this is my family. If there, there's a need, I need to go help. And I wish you could have seen the lady's expression when I walked up to the nursery door telling her I was her volunteer. <laughs> they quickly found me something else to do. <laughs> That's funny, ain't it? But there was something in me said, this is my, these, are, these are my people. There's a need and I have the ability to do it. 
There is a spot that is vacant of somebody to stand the post and I can do it. I felt obligated and I didn't even know anybody in the church, but I was in my family. And it's not right for my family to be in need and me not get up and do something about it. See, there's something that stirs in your heart when you find your family in the kingdom of God. It has nothing to do with relationships, even though that's great, and that helps firm up things and gives clarity sometimes. But there should be something activated in your heart when you walk into the place where the Lord has purposed you to be. You should know your home. There should be something that says, I have a responsibility here. And this is not a message to get people to go start signing up and doing things. It's a, this, is, this is something God put in my heart to get us to understand that we're not part of a church. If you are here and God has planted you in this place, you are part of a family. And that is way deeper than being part of a church. Because when you're part of an organization, there's no obligation really. You can change your affiliation at any time and, and lots of people do. But when you're part of a family, you just can't quit being part of a family. Even when the Lord tells you to go do something somewhere else, it's still family. And so we're going to be family here. And everybody matters in the family. Back to Judges. It says, Then Judah went up, and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Parasites into their hand, and they killed 10,000 men at Bezek. And they found Adonai Bezek in Bezek. And fought against him and called him and cut off his thumbs and big toes. Then Adonai Bezek fled and they pursued him and cut him and called him and cut off his thumbs and his big toes. I was sitting in my chair early this morning in the dark and God spoke this particular part of the verse to me. And they pursued him and cut him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and big toes. So that, that's a pretty interesting thing. Y'all just look at, your, look at your thumbs. Look at them. Look at your thumbs. Look at them. You got them? Everybody got them? Yeah, don't take your shoes off. <laughs> do you realize what you cannot do if you do not have thumbs on these hands? That is pretty significant. I, I've been writing my Bible in, in the first Corinthians. And y'all go to chapter 12 now, please. Because this is really where I wanted to be or get to. And uh, and this is, I've never thought about that to this morning for what I'm going to talk about. But it says in chapter 12, verse 12, that just as the, the human body is one, and though it has many parts that together form one body, so too is Christ. For by one spirit we are, we are all or we all were immersed and mingled 
into one single body. And no matter our status, whether we are Jews or non-Jews, oppressed or free, we are all privileged to drink deeply of the same Holy Ghost. Come on. We're privileged. We're privileged to be able to call him Father. Thank you for letting me love you, Father. Thank you for letting scales fall off my eyes so that I can love you and see you properly. Thank you for walking me through this path, God, and just constantly coming to me and letting me see you for who you really are. It's a privilege. Thank you, Father. In fact, the human body is not one single part, but rather many parts mingled into one. So if the foot were to say, since I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body, it's forgetting that it is still a vital part of the body. And if the ear were to say, since I'm not an eye, I'm not really part of the body, it's forgetting. It's, it's forgetting that it is still an important part of the body. Think of it this way. The whole body... If the whole body were just an eyeball, how could it hear sounds? And if the whole body were just an ear, how could it smell different fragrances? But God has carefully designed each member and placed it in the body to function. He has carefully placed each member in the body. Why? To function. Every person in the family of God and in this family, in this place, you are here and you have a purpose and your purpose is to function in the family. Mama Lo said something the other day, we were talking and she said something really caught me off guard. Just It, it stuck with me ever since and we were just talking about different situations and and. She said, you know, all your kids are seen. All your kids are seen. And when she said that, I didn't say nothing at the moment, but it really, it, it just kind of, it, it just struck me. But that's a great compliment. I got a lot of kids. And, you know, sometimes it's not easy to give everybody their due attention in the moment that they want it, or you, you, it has to be an intentional thing. And, and she's an expert with kids, in case y'all don't know that yet. She's, she's, she's a kid expert. And, and, you know, her job is to minister to the Lord and to minister to the children. And she's very good at her job. She's lots of experience, lots of life lessons the Lord's given. And so, you know, when somebody who's a, an expert at something says that, it's because through understanding, observation, and experience, they've got a really good opinion. And you should pay attention. And it, was a, it really blessed me because we were talking about kids that are not seen. And a lot of times in families... It doesn't matter if you got a lot or a little, the children are just not seen. And what that means is they're not valued properly by their parents, which that is transmitted there to the children. And the children know that they're not seen and they know they don't have a value. They know that they're not seen as important. They're not included. They're not seen as an integral part of the family. They're just there. You can have it or not have it, and that's transmitted into the emotions in the hearts of the children, and they carry that with them. And so that, that just goes with them everywhere. And it, it is so perversive in the house of God, that thought. 
And we actually have come to the place because of being raised up, a lot of us, in, 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 in this, this function, in that type of mentality. We come to church and because we're not preaching and we're not singing or we're not singing, we actually think we're not important and we don't matter and we don't have functionality in the family of God. And that is not true. You understand how untrue that is? And God sees all of his children. None of us are unseen by the Father. Each one of us were created to function inside of the family. And you know, one of the jobs that I have that I've realized down through the, the years, especially in the latter years, is that one of the greatest responsibilities and the tasks that the Lord has given me is to empower people and to make them understand you matter and you have a place and you will have functionality in this family. I told Miss Jazzy this morning, Hey, I need you to start prayer like last week. Me and Brother DJ talked about this, and it was really awesome. So we're going to do it again. Hey, you're going to do it this week. And she, she, you know, it took her a minute to, to be okay with that. She said yes. But she started sweating and, and getting a little nervous. And... But man, you, everybody has functionality. Everybody has a place in this thing. And see, he, he starts giving, Paul does, this, this, this understanding, this revelation to, to us by using the body as an example so that we all understand that we are one body in Christ. There's not separate parts. A body is one. And, and he begins to talk. And, and, and in verse 18, he says that, but God has carefully designed each member and placed it in the body to function as he desires. He has a desire for you. Y'all look at me. Your father created you and he has a desire for you. He has a purpose for each one of us. There's not a one of us in here breathing his oxygen that he doesn't have a living, breathing desire for you to accomplish. Come on, you have a purpose in this planet. You have a purpose in this family. He has a desire for you that he wants to see you accomplish. Nobody's here as an accident. Nobody's here as a byproduct. You are here because the breath of God was breathed into your body. And if he didn't want you here, you would not be alive. He has a desire for you. I'm telling you, I used to lay in my bed all, all the time, all the way from little up through high school into college until Jesus walked in my room and I would lay there so many nights thinking, why do I exist? Why am I here? Why am I in this place? Why, why, do, I, why do I live? What purpose do I have? Because I did not know. I did not know why I was alive. I felt void and empty of any significance. But the minute he walked into my room, I felt the desire that he had for me. I felt the purpose that I was created in. And I didn't even know what it would be. I certainly didn't know it would be this. But I'm telling you, by the Spirit of the Lord, I was awakened to his desire for me and my life in this place. 
And even though it wasn't defined in that moment, I knew it was there and I knew it was real and I knew I existed for a reason, that I was created for a reason. So you've got to understand, you're in the family of God and He has a desire for you. And maybe you're not in the family of God yet and you haven't swung open the doors of your heart so the King of glory can come into you and you feel like I felt. And the only reason why you feel like that is because you haven't turned your face to Him. And the minute you do, you'll feel His desire for you. You'll feel the purpose of God swelling up in your life. Man, how wonderful it is to know that my Father made me with purpose. Come on. See, we're going to do family. And we're not going to be dysfunctional. I sat at a table yesterday and listened to how some churches operate in dysfunction and the effects that it was having on people. It made, made me want to go burn down their buildings and revoke their rights to get together. And it's not because I'm perfect, but it's just so dysfunctional. It's not who my father is. It's just not. Man, we're, we're being healed in this house and we're being made new and we're getting a clearer vision of who he really is and why we're actually coming together. And it's wonderful. Man, it makes me want to run through the walls. It does. This ain't a story. This ain't me come getting my religious obligation done once a week. This is I get to walk with the living God. And I feel his desire burning in me. Man, that's amazing. I just want y'all to feel that because it's for every one of us. Verse 19, it says, a diversity is required. And that's awesome. A diversity is required. For if the body consisted of one single part, there wouldn't be a body at all. Man, you know why I love what we're doing here? Look at the diversity. Look at the diversity. Man, we are all very different up in this house. Colors, thoughts, backgrounds, jobs, where we were born, what we were taught growing up. This is a house of, of diversity of backgrounds, but we are becoming one in Jesus. Brother Pat used to say to us all the time in Tuscaloosa, Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. He did not say, I will draw all men unto you who look just like you. See, if we're lifting up Jesus in this house, whether it's through the preaching or the, or the worship or the prayer, or the different ministries that are happening in the, inside of this family, if we're lifting up Jesus, you will have a conglomeration. You will have such a mix of people and, and backgrounds. And it, it's just, it's a sign and a wonder. But if you look around and everybody in your church looks just like you, they're all the same color, they all do the same thing. They think exactly like you. You're in a house of dysfunction. You understand? Dysfunction. Because that is not what the kingdom of heaven is and it's not what it's going to look like when you get to glory and are standing before the throne of God. And it shouldn't be what we look at now. This should be a multi, it should be a representation of what's outside these doors. 
Because if you're lifting up Jesus, then that's the only thing people have to look at that's being exalted. And he is the ultimate rallying point. He brings in everything. He brings in everybody. He brings all kind of brokenness in. He brings in all kind of people who have been wounded and hurt and lied to and, and ripped off. And he brings them all in. And he's not qualified because he said, who are my mothers and my brothers? Whoever. See, this should be a whoever gospel preached. And that should, be, that should be what's felt by anybody who walks in, into this family and hears the gospel, whether it's through our mouth preaching or through our lives out in our jobs and our schools and our street. If they have contact with this family, they should feel like this is a whoever gospel. I refuse to not have a whoever gospel because most people didn't want me in their gospel. I went to the largest high school in the state of Alabama at the time at Jeff Davis, and I went every, no, well, I didn't go every day. That'd be not true. I really didn't go often after football season. <laughs> Hold on, me. <laughs> we reel that back in. But for three years, I was at that high school. <laughs> Sometimes. And do you know that for three years, I was never once invited to church? Biggest high school in the state. 3,000 people. Not one time was I ever invited to a youth group or to a Sunday service or to a Bible study. Not one time did anybody in that school walk up to me and just say, Jesus loves you. That's not a whoever gospel. And that doesn't make me mad at those people. It makes me mad at the institution that was training those people where those people went to worship God because they were allowed to live and operate in dysfunction for the most part and they didn't feel like they had a whoever gospel. Man, you can't get around me for any amount of time and not be invited to my house or invited to where I'm going or to eat with me because I have a whoever gospel. My life is a whoever life. You don't ever know who's going to be sitting at my table when you walk in. People the other day, Miss Liz sent me a message wanting me to, to be a part of, of her mama's funeral. And, and mama always told me, Man, people didn't even know you knew her. Man, y'all don't know who I know because I love on everybody. I love on everybody I get a chance to love on. I'm on purpose walking around saying hello to everybody. I'm on purpose smiling at every person I meet because it's a whoever gospel I have. You don't have to be somebody important to matter to me because everybody's important so everybody matters. And that's the way the family of God is supposed to operate. And that has to be felt. And it is in this house. It really is. You think you don't matter. You think that you don't have a functional purpose in this family. And because you believe that lie and because you might have been raised in that dysfunction or you came from a church that was in that dysfunction and you've brought that lie with you and you think that you really don't have any part in what's happening here outside of coming and being in service. And let me tell you something, that is not true. You have functionality that all of us need. And when you're part of a family and you're not functioning properly, you're robbing us of the very reason God put you here. Man, you got value. 
God sent you to this house and to this family to bring increase. And I'm not talking about your tithe check. I'm talking about the things that God himself hand-placed within you for the benefit and the blessing of the family of God. It doesn't matter if you know Bible or don't know Bible. There's something in you placed before your creation that God intended to be manifested for the family of God. And if you stand around me long enough, I will find it. I'll have you up here playing guitar or uh, yeah, I just do because I, I, everybody's got a purpose. You know, you go back to that whole thing in Judges. They cut the thumbs and the toes off. They could have put their eyes out. They could have cut their tongues off. They could have ripped their ears off. They could have done lots of different things, but they could they took the most unseemly parts, the ones that really seemed not that significant because those were the most significant part of the whole body. Do you know when you believe the lie of I don't have any value and God doesn't really have a desire for me and I don't have any real functional part in the family that God's placed me in, you know what you're actually doing is you're letting the lie of hell cut you off. And that means we can't function properly. That means we're supposed to be going to war and we can't hold the sword because you don't think you matter and you allow a live hell to cut you away from the rest of us and you don't ever enter into your functionality and do the thing that God purposed for you to do. You might not be the preacher and you not, might not be the singer. You might not be this or that, but you might be the very thumb that gives the hand the strength to hold the sword of the Lord. And we can't do it because you're believing the lie. That God doesn't have any real desire for you. You're just an oxygen, oxygen taker. <laughs> there is no such thing. I just made that up. <laughs> In case you didn't know. That thumb was really important to that king. He had his thumbs cut off. He had his toes cut off. And you know what he said? I've done this to 70 kings. Because every time he conquered one, he thought, I don't want you coming back. So I'm going to fix you. And I'm going to cut your thumbs off so you can't pick up a weapon against me. I'm going to cut your toes off so you can't run away. You're just, you're useless. You can't do anything except beg from the scraps underneath my table. And when we believe that we weren't made with the desire of God, and that we weren't created to fulfill a functioning part in the family of God, then what we do is we render ourselves apart from the family of God because we believe that's really who we are, and it's just not true. We will function as a family here. Every person has great value here. And you know what? I, this, like I said, this is not me trying to get you into some role in the church. This is getting me, this is me trying to get you to understand that you have a deeper purpose in this family outside of doing some ministry that everybody can see. You are a functioning, valuable part of the family of God and you have purpose and the desire of the Lord is on you and you need to surrender to that so he can begin to put you in the place that is going to bless other people because your functionality is not even for you. I'm not up here preaching because I want to preach for me. Lots of people do that. 
I'm here because I want to be a blessing to you with what God put in me. And if it's standing up and preach, I'll preach. If it's sitting over there shouting for Brother DJ, it's shouting. If it's shouting for the worship team, I'm shouting. If it's opening the door, I'll open the door. Because I was created for the purpose of God. And that purpose is to be a blessing to the family of God where he places me. And that looks different sometimes every day. But I know I have purpose. I know that the desire of the Lord is on my life. And I want you to understand that. Because when we begin to do that, oh my, we start coming out of dysfunction. We have to begin to allow the truth of God to reform our minds and to wash away the lies of dysfunction so we can properly operate as a real kingdom family of God. It's amazing how important family is to the Lord. Our mentality has to go from church and church membership and all that nonsense to understanding I am part of a family because God has placed me here. Family matters to God more than anything. God saw Adam and said, it's not good that he's alone, so he gave him a family. Do you understand that when family is isolated and separated from one another, it's a sign of the curse. When Cain killed Abel, do you know what the sentence of the Lord was? You go on, you're going to be a vagabond now. You can't be a part of the family anymore. You are separated from the family. And he made him to wonder all his days. None of us are supposed to live in the mentality that I'm separated from everybody else. We are part of a family and we have to take that responsibility and we have to receive it as the blessing of the Lord that it is and walk in it. You go to Revelation and there's a thing called the, 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 wedding, feet, the wedding of the Lamb where we, the bride of Christ, are going to be married to the bride, Jesus. Family. Not church. Not membership. My name's not written on a roll up there as church membership. It's written down in the Lamb's Book of Life as part of the wedding. As a bride of Christ. Family is what he wants. Who are my mother and my brothers? Whoever does the will of God, who obeys the word of the Lord, who sets their heart to walk with him. Man, when we start doing family, things change. There is a change that happens. And it's a witness to the world around us that we actually do operate in love and we prefer one another, uh, for each other over one another. And we begin to share one another's burdens. And when my brother comes to me and says, hey, I got to go up the hill and fight this fight. Why don't you come with me and help me? And then that does not allow me to think, well, that might cost me a little bit too much and it's going to be a little bit inconvenient because I got something else to do and I ain't willing to go that deep. And with your family don't get a right to say that to family. People who have surface relationships and, and sit by each other in a church pew, they do that. Family feels the responsibility to go up the mountain with their brother and fight the fight. But they also knows that brother's going to come back down the mountain and fight with me. And I'll never be alone. Uh, that, that's all I'm going to share today. See, Brother David, I, I told my boys this is going to be the short message. <laughs> Everybody just rolls their eyes. This really matters to me, and I really believe this is right. 
most places you go to listen to the gospel, this is not what they say. This is not what they teach. And they don't want that obligation, so they're certainly not about to try to put it on somebody else. I do. I want family. I want to walk with brothers and sisters. I want mothers and fathers. I want people who I know will go up the mountain with me and who know I will go up the mountain with them. I want people who will come to me and love and say, hey, that's not what you taught me to do. Hey, this is what you said was not right and pleasing to the Father. What are you doing? Who will love me enough to say that to me. I want people who will come alongside me when it's my head in the toilet and lift my head out of the vomit. And I want them to know that's who I am for them. Just come up for a minute, Rachel. Let's pray. Telling you this is right. No matter how long you believe the live hell, God has a desire for you. His desire for you burns with an unquenchable fire. Oh my gosh. He makes 